You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning and welcome yet again to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace, and that will take on a little bit of significance as we go. Thank you so much, Josiah, for being here and leading us in worship today. Josiah is actually a student at Southeastern, as he mentioned, and he um, will be graded on this. And David said he's only grading in the second service, which is pretty much a bummer because I was great in the first service. Uh, probably won't go as well the second service, Josiah, but uh, that's okay. We'll, we'll make him grade you on the first one. But Josiah and Taylor here, thank you so much. For being with us today. Um, I am wearing this because I am a home group leader, not for any other reason. So any of the folks that you see wearing these are either home group leaders, host, hostesses. Uh, you please go up and talk to them. And Ricky, uh, that was a beautiful uh, uh, explanation of, of home groups uh, and, and a challenge. We need new leaders, new groups for new people. We need new leaders. Um, I don't think you, he mentioned Fuquay groups are in the lobby. Is that right, Ricky? Fuquay groups, Bowie's Creek, Lillington down here? I think so. Fuquay, Lillington down here. And you said you put the um, Willow Spring outside. It's appropriate. It's No, it's okay. Back in the Welcome Center. Okay. Well, if this is your first time to Grace Community Church, it, it'll be helpful to understand that today is not a normal Sunday morning service. Well, the sermon time is not the normal preaching through a text, taking a text of Scripture and preaching through, but it will be very much about Scripture, about the Gospel of John, in fact. We've spent most of this year in the Gospel of John, and we are already through chapter nine. Eight months, nine chapters. Why so long in one book of the Bible? That's that's a legitimate question. Now, if you go to some churches and they're going to take three, four, five years to preach through Romans, we're, we're never going to do that. But why, as much as a year and a half? In the Gospel of John, all told, when you do all of the uh, uh, Sundays that we, be, we will be preaching in that, what we're going to talk about this morning, and when I say we, I mean several of the elders will join me in a few minutes, just a very few minutes, and we're going to have a panel discussion. It's going to be a collective review of what we have covered in John 9 so far, but we'll also talk about why we approach Scripture the way that we do. If you've never been part of a church that is led by elders, you should know that all the men who serve in that capacity, and there are eight of us, are considered pastors. Now, a couple of things about that. They all need to be, Scripture commands us in 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, if they are going to be elders of the church, they need to be able to teach and as much as being able to share the truth, they need to be able to understand the truth to protect the church from false doctrine. A lot of people think 
Paul was a really harsh guy. He was at times, but it was primarily about false gospel. There were issues of sin in churches that he came at pretty hard. But most of the time, Paul was encouraging, and he was telling the body, forgive each other, love one another. But when it came to false doctrine, he didn't mess around. He told it very straight, said, do not tolerate that in your midst. And that's one of the responsibilities of um, the elders is that they teach. I am most often being the teaching elder in this place on Sunday morning. And sometimes other staff members preach. Ricky and David Calvert both uh, preach. And Jeff Kelly will be hearing from him in the next two couple of months or so. But <clears throat> there are times when the elders preach as well. You heard last week uh, Neil Manning preach an outstanding message on the Holy Spirit. Neil is one of the elders who will be on the panel this morning for our review of the first nine <clears throat> chapters of John's gospel. There was something else that I was going to say about the elders in my mind is desperately trying to bring it up, but it's not happening. So if I just blurt it out in the middle of the panel, you'll understand what has happened. Uh, before the panel comes up, I'm going to read the prologue or the introduction to the Gospel of John. It's found in, in, in John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Almost everything that we have seen in John can be, its origins for teaching can be found in this prologue. So pay careful attention as we read through here and think about all the ways this has played out in the Gospel of John. After the text is read, the elders will come up and we will begin our review. I'm going to pray, and then I'll invite the elders up after reading the text. It's our practice to stand as the scripture is being read. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Just like Josiah was encouraging us to pray and to, and to, and to witness to people about Jesus. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, <clears throat> full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, 
This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me was before me, ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, my goodness, we could close in prayer and go home just reading these 18 verses. So simple, so profound, and life to us. Light to our, our darkened minds and souls and light for our paths and life, eternal life in Jesus. May he be exalted high on this day in all that we say and do, but especially in these moments to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Be seated, if you would. I'm going to ask the elders, if they would, to come on up. Dr. David Calvert is going to join us on this text, or on this panel. David uh, and I have been walking through John a good bit together. He's reading stuff I'm not reading. I'm reading stuff he's not reading. We talk about this a lot. So David will be a valuable addition to this panel. Now, the elders uh, are, are listed above, and elders, if you would, please state your name the first time that you speak, if you can remember to do so, as the thing is going a little bit, you might forget. But uh, Jim McLaughlin and Mike Moneypenny are not with us, but other than that, these are six of the eight elders who uh, the Lord has called to lead the church. I know what it was I was going to say. I always like to say this with elder rule. Um, these are pastors. Not only are they called to know the word, they're called to love the church, and they do love the church well. A few weeks ago, we had a meeting. Scott Colbert, who works up in Wake Forest, was on his way to the meeting, but he stopped by to see Stefania Hunziker, who was going into surgery for appendicitis. And uh, these guys are constantly ministering to the body here at Grace in different ways. So uh, if, if you're in the hospital and, and one of the elders comes to see you and someone asks you, did your pastor come to see you while you were in the hospital? What, what's your answer? Yes, he did. My pastor came to see me. He's not as handsome as I remember him on Sunday mornings, but he did... <laughs> Come to see me. Um, maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> well, um, let's uh, start off talking about the prologue. Uh, the first question, it, it has often been stated in this series that everything in John can be tied back to the prologue found in the first 18 verses. In fact, in home groups, the rest of the study in John, you could always do that. Every single time you could say, where do we see this in the prologue? It's all, it's all there. Uh, and the rest of the book is just working it out. So let's talk about the theology of the prologue and therefore 
uh, the theology that is found in John's gospel. Uh, David, I know you've given a lot of thought particularly. Why don't, would you like to start us off talking about the prologue a little bit? to realize that a good academic text gives you the argument right up front. It tells you what's coming and then unpacks it and then hopefully recaps it at the end to make sure that you got the main point. And we actually, even though John is not an academic, we're getting that through the course of his, his letter, his sermon, his work written for the, the people of God. In the course of John, you get the opening statement and then he's going to recapitulate that. He's going to recap it at the end as well. And all the way through, these same themes that we see in the first 18 verses pop up. And so one of my favorite things to do is to use the ESV Study Bible app and use the search function. I can hit a word, hit search, and then bam, every time that it shows up in the English translation of the ESV, I can follow it through. And so one of the things I did in thinking through the prologue was find some of these keywords and then search them. The one that's most uh, important to me at the moment, I think, would be the idea that uh, the sending that's happening throughout the book of John. So Jesus is sent. John the baptizer is sent. And ultimately, when we get to John 20, we'll be reminded that all of us are sent as well. So if you're aware of the way that we do, uh, what a beautiful name here at Grace. Um, I took some illegal creative liberties with the song and decided to tweak one of the lines. Uh, in verse 2 of What a Beautiful Name... You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you brought heaven down is the original lyric. And the more that I dwelt on it, and as we got into the book of John, I was like, I don't know that I see that language in the scriptures as much, but I see all over John, the Father sent me. And so I heard Shane and Shane first give me the idea. They changed it to, Father, you brought heaven down. And I was like, ooh, I can get behind that. I'm going to change the verb to make it more biblical. And so when we sing, what a beautiful name here, we sing, Father, you sent heaven down, speaking of Christ. And so the sending that happens in the prologue is all over uh, John. And now my app's going to crash right when I'm about to reference it. Um, in addition to sending, though, while I'm pulling that back up, look at all these other key words that we see show up that we, hopefully you can recall as we've preached through them. You see darkness and light. Uh, we see this idea of uh, testimony being borne out. If you recall as well, when we first introduced the book of John, we were talking about, uh, and it's sad that Jim is not here to represent lawyers well, uh, but there's a legal case being made in the book of John. And this is the opening statement. And if you've seen any legal shows, you're aware of how compelling you need to be in your opening statement and your closing statement if you're going to win the case. If you're going to win the jury over, you have to land it uh, both on, on the beginning and at the end. And so the opening statement should be a compelling, robust argument for what you're about to unpack with all the evidence, all the things that will bear testimony to what you just said at the beginning. And so that's what's happening through the course of this prologue is that as we see the word sent, as we see the words uh, darkness and light, as we see um, the, the testimony that is important to bear, all those things are going to come back up throughout John 1 through 9, as we've already seen as we preach through. Yeah, um, a couple of the Gospels start with uh, Jesus' birth, or very closely, 
genealogy and then, then Jesus' birth or the Holy Spirit, the uh, miraculous conception. But where does John begin? Before time, yeah. What's your name? My name is Lee Williford. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Yeah, so he, he begins it before creation. Um, I have the privilege of reading the Big Picture Story Bible. It's great for kids. My daughter, who's seven, loves it. And she asked the question, what was before God created everything? And so you sit in bed and you go, hmm. <laughs> how, do I, how do I put this on a level that uh, a kid can understand? And that's what John, even in the beginning of his uh, gospel, uh, presents to us that uh, lightness, light and dark were created. You know, darkness we sometimes think is the absence of light, like cold is the absence of heat. But even before light came into the world, Jesus existed. And of course, as David had mentioned, uh, a, a good author who is, is writing something says, this is what I'm going to tell you, tells you, and then says, this is what I have told you. And that's what we get. That's the theology that we get presented to us in this prologue, which is what makes it so powerful, is John says, I'm going to tell you who Jesus is. Through my little research of the prologue, I discovered that um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we get Jesus questioning his disciples, who do you say I am? And of course, Peter responds, you are the Christ. That isn't recalled or recorded in John because John says from John 1 all the way through chapter 21 who Jesus Christ is. And the prologue sets us up for knowing and understanding who the Jesus of the Bible, God incarnate, is for us as his body. Um, and he does it beautifully in light, in uh, the many different ways that he, he labels and gives um, physical created attributes uh, to Jesus. And of course, then recalls those throughout his book, um, just so, so that we can understand and grasp um, just some of the concepts uh, that we know and see and understand and how it, it beautifully displays who Christ, the, the Messiah, is. If you have your John journal that you may have picked up at the beginning of the sermon series, another thing you could be doing, as I've been doing, is as we preach through the rest of the book, keep your finger flipping back to the prologue. And then in that note side of the page, make note of, oh, this references verse 5. This references verse 12. Uh, as you walk through the rest of John to see how those things are connected all the way through. Uh, we do have some more of those John journals available. If you've not re yet received one and you're interested, then feel free to ask me or Jeff or Ricky afterwards and we can hook you up. Uh, but it's a great way as well to walk through the text, to continue to see how things are intended to fit together. So Jesus is the creator. Nothing was made without him. What are some of those great powers that we see so far in John? Well, what have we seen Jesus as creator doing? He creates mass where nothing existed before. Our experience is mass is neither created or destroyed. 
Okay, to clarify, this is Scott Colbreth. Yes, yeah. Scott Colbreth. I say, what's your name and how did you get on this panel? Scott is an engineer. This is engineer speak that's giving us a twist on theology here. So, one thing I find amazing about seeing that Jesus can make food where there was none before, well, there were some, but he proved that he could take that little bit, that some, and it reminds us how he took nothing and made it made something from nothing, and that's not our experience. It sets him apart immediately and uniquely as something other than us. And, you know, that's, that's deity. That, and I'm just amazed because nothing we experience in life says mass can be created, energy can be created from nothing. It has to just be transformed. And, you know, we we lie to ourselves and we, we fool ourselves when we can do some, as a, as a race, we can do some pretty amazing transformations, but it cannot happen from nothing. We, we fool ourselves when we say it can happen from nothing. It can't. Only God, through Jesus Christ, can do that. That's great. And we could talk about that forever. So many things. Every, every single point, I know we could just keep right on going. Um, and what a beautiful word in our day of we've almost reached the top at the Tower of Babel, maybe, you know, in our technological world, but we are pretty close to thinking of ourselves as God, and we're just not. So really good word. What about witness? We, David talked about John the Baptist's witness. Uh, who are some other great witnesses in the Gospel of John that we've encountered so far? Well, I mean, the various people that he healed. Burt Wallace. Wallace is my name. Uh, the, you know, the people that he heals want to talk about him. The woman at the well wants to talk about him. So uh, it's, it's interesting, too, especially, I think, more so in the other Gospels. I've been reading Mark, and he often, in Mark, he's recorded more as saying, don't tell anybody, you know, don't be quiet, don't tell anybody about this, you know, but people want to talk about it. People want to be a witness to what they've experienced. Can't help it, can they? I mean, and the reason that he would say that often is it wasn't his time to be crucified, but it is time now for all of us to talk about it. You see it all through the, the, the book, book of Acts and, and the New Testament. Just to speak to that, uh, my name is Chris Pope. I'm one of the elders. Um, I remembered my name. Um, I, I think even recently we were discussing... Um, John chapter 9, you look at the man who's been healed of his blindness. I think we get conditioned in life. I remember being born and raised in a small Southern Baptist church, deep fried Southern Baptist, I like to say. And we had a worship leader come and perform in our Sunday school class. And I must have been seven years old. He played his guitar and sang us a song. And when he was done, I applauded wildly because I thought it was fantastic. And I was quickly chastised and fussed at, you are not to clap in church. <laughs> and so I, 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 I learned from that experience that I, that was something I wasn't supposed to do. And that kind of, you know, it struck me wrong because I knew what he was doing was for God. It wasn't for us. It wasn't entertainment necessarily, but it was to edify us and to glorify the Father. But in that experience, I learned that, you know, my response needed to be subdued 
And it, that kind of conditioned me. And I look at the man in John 9. He had been conditioned. You know, he was shunned from society. He was an outcast. He was a beggar. Even his family, obviously, though they were close by and could be questioned by the Pharisees, were not with him in his condition. And so he was on his own. And when he was converted, when Jesus opened his eyes, and our eyes, so to speak, he couldn't help but basically be in the Pharisee's face. You know, you know, this man does things only God can do, and yet you're asking me. I, I just find that phenomenal, that their expectation is that he not talk about it or he not glorify God in that circumstance. And yet, I think in, in times we... We too, you know, we talk about mass. We talk about all sorts of things with regard to our human mind and what we can conceptualize and what we can understand. And when you look at John, you know, it, again, it is academic, but it's a simple thing. And so, you know, I, I thought to myself, I was going to say something funny like, you know, I'm a simple man with a simple mind, so I'm just going to sit up here most of the time and nod knowingly and not say much. But I think it's very important that when we study John, as throughout all Scripture, recognize that God has done something fantastic for us. He has created not just us, but our hearts within us. And so it's like the road to Emmaus. Our hearts should burn when we talk about these things. Yeah, that's a, that's a great word and a great segue to the second question. Neil Manning, I think you're the only one not spoken yet, so uh, I'll direct this one to you or the first part of it. Anyway, Gospel of John was written employing simple grammar and simple vocabulary. David talked about that right at the first, you know, about this is academic and yet it's simple. It's kind of a, you don't often find this combination that we find in the Gospel of John. So simple grammar, simple vocabulary, even so we find, we discover profound structure and truth in this Gospel. That word discover, I changed the verb. Uh, I had find, but I changed the verb to discover because that's important to actually this question. What theological truth has moved you the most, but also talk about this simple grammar and yet profound truth? Um, well, Neil Manning, um, I lead the, the Holland Hills, Holland uh, Home Group, so I hope to see you, some of you out Thursday. Um, it, Probably would not come as a surprise that um, one of the most moving or outstanding theological truths for me from the prologue as well as the, all the way through in John is to see the, the unity of God and the distinction of the Trinity in every step and every word that, that Jesus took and said. And it's is propounded so simply that many academics, many uh, theologians, many people simply miss it. They read it and they don't see that Christ is saying, I am God. Even his disciples didn't quite get it. He has to tell them, have I been with you so long and still you don't understand that if you've seen me, you have seen the Father? And, and John is years later reporting this very thing, and he is doing his best through the Spirit. And I think that's the layer that oftentimes we need to, to check, that John is using simple, maybe fisherman language, but the truth is so deep that could it only come from 
a divine author. So we see the dual authorship there, uh, that the truth is coming through in, in very simple language. But even when we say it's simple, even to us as 21st century um, modern American readers, we, we have the, the Bible in any language that we can fathom. We're still scratching our heads at, you know, what did he just say there? With the light and the darkness, he was there and he's with God, but he is God. And, and all these different things, it can be very confusing. But, but that's the great thing. about If you just read it through over and over again, that's the great part about reaching back. Here we are uh, halfway through, nine chapters in, and we can go back to the first 18 verses and see the same truths that we've seen week in and week out unfold and come alive again from the very first chapter. And one of those truths that I see unfolding is the Father sending, the, the Son accomplishing, and, and the Spirit applying uh, all the way through. And we shouldn't think that um, deep theology is not practical. It is, because without the Trinity, we would have no salvation. Without the Father sending and the Son accomplishing and the Spirit applying, we would have no salvation. Yes, I, um, I think we'll all be surprised at heaven when we think about the things that we put so much emphasis on here. Money, status, intelligence, or training, that kind of thing. When the Holy Spirit so often uses um, people who feel very unqualified to share a witness with someone who would be above them in status or intellect or uh, financial um, uh, well-being. And yet the Lord will use those very, just a simple relationship with Christ to profoundly affect other people. thought when you were talking, Chris, about that John 9 man, he, he's like, what, you're going to threaten me with poverty? You're going to kick me out of the synagogue? Never thought about it until you were just sharing it that way. He was used to being an outcast, and so it was all right. But there will be a day where he's got a place at the table that's he's quite significant. The third question, we're gonna, I'm just going to blow through this one because uh, these are going to be the same questions that we address in home group this week. Who is your favorite character besides Jesus? I know we could have a lot to say about that. There are just so many colorful individuals in uh, John. But let's move on to the fourth question. What is the benefit, if indeed there is a benefit, in spending a year or more in the Gospel of John? One of the analogies for you know, studying Scripture is the water skiing versus deep sea diving. If you're spending a month in the Gospel of John, you've got to be skiing over the surface to get to cover all the all the bases and just to keep going, you have to move pretty quickly. Uh, but taking the time to deep sea dive requires being stationary in some spots, and you got to give yourself time to come back to the surface. You know, slowly. You can't just if you don't know what the bends are. Uh, you got to take your time uh, in those spaces. And so, if we're spending a year in the Gospel of John, we can dive deep. We can uh, we can soak in the word, let the water of the word wash over us in a different way than if we're getting the spray from the back of the boat as we're water skiing. Uh, you can still be washed in the water of the word when you're skiing through something. Uh, but I think there are benefits to uh, doing the deep dive. Jump in. So 
I feel like I'm going to pull a Scott here. Um, <laughs> time is, uh, God created time, and man created the increments that we all live by every day. 365 days equals a year, 24 hours equals a day. So to apply those constraints is something human that we apply to it. So it, it would be very essential that we do not limit our study of the truth especially in a book so deep and profound and important in our faith um, to any sort of time constraint as long as, as we are progressing uh, to make sure that the truths are being discovered and that we as a body um, are able to discuss them in our home groups, um, in our quiet times, dive deeper. Um, so, yeah, a year is just 365 days. So I think it's important to remember that that we as a body, we have limited time on this earth, certainly, um, but to, to spend time like we have um, in several books in the past eight years that I've been here has been a joy to be able to dive deep and uh, to, to gather other resources that, that the body of the church um, has been able to produce um, to, to go even deeper into study and to know um, more deeply what exactly scripture is saying um, it, it's important that we don't study scripture in isolation um, because we can come up with some really crazy stuff that way <laughs> and uh, it's it's great that we as a body and brad in particular uh, draws in um, lots of different uh, thinkers um, writers um, he puts quotes on on the screen um, so that we can have a full context of what it is so it, technically, we're taking all of this huge amount of time that has been invested into a book like John um, and, and even consolidating it into what might become, you know, 12 to 18 months. Um, but fortunately, it will be an accumulation of a lot of time and dedication that has been poured into this book of John so that we as a body here at Grace Community Church um, in our, and in our own lives um, can richly, richly be blessed um, by all of that study. So thank you, Brad and elders, for being dedicated to um, deep sea diving and not just water skiing. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting segue, Holy Spirit segue. I'm sure you were not aware we're about to put two uh, thinkers' words on the screen. But I, I do want to say the first three rules of biblical interpretation are context, context, context. And do, do you remember the first time you realized you can't just pull a verse out of Philippians and make it say whatever that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me does not mean you're necessarily going to make first string basketball team or be able to lift like some of us are able to lift um, this is the lifting primary lifting that I do um, but here are a couple of quotes Kevin Van Hooser who happens to be uh, David Calvert's primary reader for his doctorate and just a delightful writer and brilliant man, insightful man, said this, a small reading of scripture, is his point, is a diluted sampling of a fragmentary bit taken out of a bigger narrative context. So every verse is surrounded by a context, plus oftentimes how does an author use a word in this book? Does he have more uh, books that he's written or letters? And how, do the, how's this, how does he use this word? What were the cultural issues surrounding it? So 
If you just pull in a verse here or there, though, it's a sip of milk, not a slab of meat. So you guys jump in. Bert? Uh, well, it just made me think that to remember that the verses are artificial anyway. I mean, they're, they're not, you know, the original writers did not divide their stuff up into little verses, right. you know, that you could pull. And it, so it would be like, you know, pulling a sentence out of a novel and, and sort of saying, oh, this is what this novel is about. Look at this sentence. Because, you know, I mean, in extreme version, you could, I mean, there's a lot of things in the Bible that are, people say things that are not true in the Bible. You know, like like Job's friends, I always think about them. Like most of the book of Job is bad advice, you know, like that you should not follow. You know, so to, to pull that out and say, oh, look, the Bible says to do this. Well, that's someone's saying something that you shouldn't do, you know. And you could, you know, I mean, that's, you can be very obvious about, you know, a villain in a novel like saying something. But that's not the truth of what the novel's trying to communicate. That's what a bad guy is saying. Like if Jim was here, I could say in, uh, there's a, a quote you hear um, from Shakespeare, I forget what, I forget what it's from, it's a Shakespeare play, I forget which one, but he, you should know. Come somebody on. says, uh, the first thing we do, let's kill all the lawyers, you know, and, <laughs> but the person saying that in the play is a villain, you know, it's not someone who's saying, it, 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 the play is not saying that that's what we should do, that's a bad person, you know, saying let's kill all the lawyers, you know, so, um, even in more subtle ways though, if you just pull out little bits here and there, it could be very misleading. Yeah, and it's how some people treat it. In fact, let me, Chris, let you respond to this next one. Glenn Powell, and it's along the same lines, the next uh, quote. Far too many folks, for far too many folks, there is a hope for, but as yet undiscovered, spiritual meal in the Bible. They have been sold the mistaken notion that the Bible is a look it up and find the answer, handy guide to life. I was just going to add on to what Bert was actually saying, and it actually ties well with both, because it, it's, in my mind, to use another analogy, it's likened to coming into a museum and turning the corner and you're face-to-face -face with an impressionistic work. And from this spot you stand, you're like, wow, what pretty colors. Doesn't look like much, but okay, it's in a museum, so obviously it's beautiful. And to have someone step you back and say, okay, try it from this angle. Come back here and look at it. And to be able to study scripture in the same way, I think, is important. Because we all come with our own conditioning. As I've said before, we all come with our own uh, precepts and, and the way we look at the world. And for some of that, you can't help it. You can't see the eyes, or, or you can't see the world through the eyes of someone else. Because you're not someone else, you're you. And so there are things that, you know, with regard to studying scripture, being able to use others, being able to study it as a whole, being able to rely on resources is very, very important. And one thing, um, there are no secrets in the Bible. There is mystery. There's beautiful mystery that we as limited-minded, finite folks uh, get to, to dwell on and, and think about. But there are no secrets in the Bible. Um, so we, we dive in to discover truth not some sort of secrets that you can put together and, and come up with some predictive sort of nature. Um, and, and that's what's beautiful to the Bible to me. Um, it drives me crazy when I see secrets of the Bible. <laughs> Send $25 and you will be able to <laughs> invest click, just like click, me. Click, <laughs> yes. Right there. yes, exactly. Um, but there is incredible mystery in the Bible. And that takes 
context, context, context. It takes an, a full understanding of all of the scripture that has been revealed to us. The Old Testament, the New Testament, um, the good and the bad, the, the, our, our hero, the protagonist, and all those who are, um, that we come into contact um, to see that reveals so many things about us. Um, and yeah, dipping our toes in and, and pulling little pieces out, man, we can get so confused. Um, so yeah, dive in to discover those truths um, with your scuba gear, with um, the intent of knowing fully what, what it is that God is, is instructing us and teaching us, rather than picking out something so that we can apply it to some area of our life where it might make sense. What does it mean to not only think biblically, but to also think theologically? I may have jumped ahead of you there, Dale. Um, not thinking theologically instead of... Next question. Uh, or, or, do we have that? Okay, thanks. Not thinking theologically instead of biblically, but thinking theologically in addition to thinking biblically about Scripture. I was talking with someone one time and said it's important to think not to think biblically, but to think theologically. And he said later, the hair on my neck stood up, you know, when you said that. I didn't mean instead of, I just meant in addition to. Think if you, when people say, well, this is biblical. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is biblical. Yes, but what does it mean theologically in the context? Now, think about this. And when we get to John 14 in the farewell address, and the fact that Jesus is going away is a part of this. Listen to these verses in John 14, 12 to 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. What does that mean? We're going to do greater things than Jesus did? Because I am going to the Father. That's part of the interpretation. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Is that the same thing as like writing a letter to Santa Claus? You, uh, anything you ask me in my name, I will do it. So what's the importance here, guys, of thinking theologically, not just taking the text and say, oh, well, I know what this means, but to think of a deeper and a broader, in a broader way. Well, we have an example already in the New Testament of how to do this. Uh, the author of Hebrews thinks theologically about the Old Testament. And so it, it gives us a picture of how we then might work through the scriptures, uh, recognizing things that otherwise may not make sense without the, the lens of Jesus. So uh, not only the author of Hebrews, but uh, all of Paul's letters are doing theology in a way that helps us understand God. And it, as a reminder, anyone who is a believer is a theologian. That's right. So you, too, are a theologian in, in the sense that you seek to know God through the scriptures. And so uh, I'm grateful for the examples that we already have in the scripture of how to think theologically. Because otherwise, I don't know what to do with Melchizedek uh, when I encounter him in Genesis. What kind of character is this? Uh, but then I read Hebrews and understand Melchizedek in the bigger picture, which is a way of thinking theologically mm -hmm. about the scriptures. Because he refers to what Psalms says about yeah. Melchizedek. I think uh, I just want to add to what David was saying about we are all theologians and, and priests, um, 
That doesn't mean, though, and because that gets back to this kind of biblical versus theological thinking that, well, I just sit, it's me and the Bible, I read it, it, it means sort of like what I think it means. You know, you know it's like the, the Holy Spirit has worked through the church for 2,000 years and, and people have written and studied. And so to me, that would be a part of thinking theologically is studying all of Scripture first and then also learning from other people, both current people and people in the past, you know, and, and what, how the Holy Spirit has helped us to work at the church to work all this stuff out. For example, the Trinity, which was not, the word is not used in the Bible, and, you know, so someone could say, some, and I think some people do say this, the Trinity is not biblical. Aren't there, aren't there sects who sort of say that, that, you know, these sort of Unitarian type sects that, well, there's nothing in the Bible about the Trinity, you know, but that comes from a theological understanding and a understanding over time of, uh, you know, learning and, and learning from each other and growing. So it's all about community. It's, to me, while personal Bible study is crucial, but also communal, uh, there's a communal aspect to it that's, to me, more important even than the personal yeah, let me, we'll get to just a little bit more of that. Ricky said in home group, um, his prayer focus on the home group, about the fact that it motivates us to do a lot more communally. Prayer in community, Bible study, all of that counts. We are so individualistic. It's like if I don't have my quiet time today, then God can't use me. But the New Testament church was... They were doing life in community, and of course we should individually, but it's to be done communally. Well, they weren't reading their Bibles by themselves That's in the right. morning because they didn't have a Bible to read. I mean, Christians didn't do that until very recently. Yeah. Scott, I wanted to give you, I know this is a one you want to address, and then we're going to be done because we have to. We actually will throw the seventh question on the screen, but number six is we have witnessed Jesus' interaction with several different people in all realms of life. What was his favorite evangelistic method? Nicodemus, woman at the well. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about this, and I think because he used just about everything we can think about, you know, there's, there's nothing, there's no favorite method except the fact that he came to seek the lost and to find those that are his and to share with them exactly what he wanted to that fit specifically their individual uh, needs um, in their individual context. So that was his favorite method. And whatever mode, whatever, what we would call a technique or a method, um, he applied it. So we see, um, we see him walking away from people and people tapping on his shoulder. And he says, what do you want? That's not, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, recommend that method, but he knew who was behind him, and he knew what that dude was seeking out, and he knew that that was going to be the best method for that dude at that time, Nathaniel. He said, what do you want? He knew what he wanted, but he put it out there, right? We see him uh, similarly uh, with the woman at the well, just kind of a one-on-one -on -one evangelism, right? Um, we see him, uh, I can't think of a better 
phrasing this, but going postal, right, in the temple, just turning over tables. I mean, this is a crazy man. But someone, and he knew this, someone was watching. Someone was listening. It met their need to know more about God. They, they desired, they, you know, they sat there and, and just, they knew that wasn't right, right? He used um, that one, you know, one-on-one again at night with Nicodemus, but we see him uh, filling the football stadium too and preaching to the crowds, right? And we see street evangelism. Um, we see what might have been considered by some to be parlor tricks, right? Changing the water to wine, even when it was like a bother to him. And, and sometimes we think, sometimes I think of Jesus just going, okay, really? I mean, but that's not what he was doing. It was calculated. It was in front of people. It was, again, exactly what they need. And I like to think of it you know, the evangelism that was occurring even when he was um, so just cut it to Pharisees. And one thing I see is basically all of these methods, these modes, he identified to me, to us, two types of people. Those, who heart, those whose hearts were going to... Be, were believing or were going to believe and he knew it and who were his lost sheep that he was finding and he found people who were just going to deny him no matter what no matter what they saw in whatever context of you know evangelism technique that he was using they're just shaking their heads going no absolutely not and what it's done for me in looking at all these characters and these modes and methods during this, this round of going through John and um, kind of like Bert, I was simultaneously going through Luke um, just personally. And over and over and over again, I'm compelled to put myself in that context. I'm a, I'm a member of the crowd um, at the Sermon on the Mount or when he's in a boat speaking to the crowd. I'm, I'm listening to the, to the woman at the well running back to um, me in town, and I'm listening to what she's saying. I am Nicodemus just wrestling. You know, I am the Pharisee who he's cutting, you know, and holding, holding his methods all at different you know, in different um, ways and looking at these facets like we're talking about and then recognizing in myself that I am a little bit of every one of those people. Um, I've talking about discovering and uncovering some truths. Um, it's done that for me uh, in, a, in a new and, and fresh way. And uh, it just creates, you know, humility. Um, it creates that longing to, to be on that side of being found to be a believer and a lost sheep. Um, and through all that, it creates a, a faith, a sure, founded hope that is certain that he is saving me and that I will stand at the end with him. 
and it's just been it's just been really wonderful. And it's been a wonderful time. The last question, that we, which we will not have time to address the panel, is just a taste of how home groups work. So we were going to talk about the importance of learning and processing theology and community, but hopefully you've seen that. And a lot of times in, in home groups, you'll hear stuff and it just gets your mind going in a different way or, oh, that's what that means. So connect with the home group leaders. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. We, we will uh, take our places, but immediately after the service, speak to some of the folks who are representing the home groups. Thank you guys very much. Thank you very much. I appreciate you uh, doing this. Father, uh, we are uh, indeed humbled that, that you have brought understanding to us. We recognize that we can know nothing apart from the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And while there is a great deal of um, work that we can do to be better equipped and better understand your word, we recognize without the Holy Spirit working, as uh, Neil told us so beautifully last week, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit that we are limited. So thank you for teaching us about Jesus. May he be glorified in all that we say and do. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.